let me well, uh, just begin by welcoming all of you who are watching online, whenever, wherever you are. We're glad you can be a part of this with us. Um, I was just thinking this past week, I need to probably say something about the Raider Bronco game. Because I gave the Raiders so much grief last week. There was a lot of trash talk, and it's fun. I love the back and forth. But in case you don't know, the Raiders beat the Broncos by one point. So to be a gentleman, let me just say this to all you Raiders fans, congratulations, you won. But we would still like you to use the west entrance because that's where the metal detectors are, all right? Don't, don't forget that. We need you to still hang with that with us. Yeah, we're in a brand new series. We started last week, Bright Light in a Dark Place. It's going through the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, you want to get the book of Philippians, you want to find that and get that out, you can. Um, a couple of things, though, before we dive into this. Uh, this is a special weekend uh, for Michelle and I. This is our 35th anniversary on Sunday. Look at this foxy lady right here. Yes. Yes, come here, because not everybody knows who you are. Come up here. I know you didn't like dress for success tonight. It's Thursday, and you just threw some stuff on. You're still, you look awesome. So just all, all the way up, all the way up. Just come up here. She's so excited with me right now. This is why we have such a good relationship. Um, you know, you know the saying, behind every great man is a woman shaking her head like, I have no idea how this happened. That, that's her. So come here, baby. Come here. This is Michelle, for those of you who don't know, married <laughs> 35 years this Sunday. Thanks for hanging with me and the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Can I go now? No, let's do that again. Let's no, just go. <laughs> okay, go sit down. All right. Give her one more hand, would you please? Thank you. I know some of you can't get over that there's actually hair on that head, but look at her, man, oh man, oh man. 35 years with that, now I call her the silver fox, but she's, she's amazing. So I'm, I'm truly a blessed person, and I know that. Um, anniversaries are a big deal, you know, they're fun, but not all anniversaries are anniversaries of good things, right? This last Monday, it was the anniversary of 9-11. And what shocks me now, just thinking about it, is uh, young people 22 and younger, like have no recollection of this, probably 23, 24, 25, 26, probably have no personal recollection of that. Uh, they, they've seen pictures now and, and all of that, but I was, man, that was a long 22 years ago. But we have an anniversary to remember the, the horrors of that day. And if you are old enough, you know exactly where you were when you got that news, Right? I was um, sitting at home watching ESPN, which is pre-recorded, and my wife is at West Valley. She's a substitute teacher. She was at West Valley that day, and she says, uh, like, do you know what's going on? Turn on the news, and I flip over to the news just in time to watch the second plane hit the second tower. I think we need anniversaries like that, even though they're not near as fun. And it may be in your personal calendar, you have anniversaries that come up as soon as you turn the page to the next month. You can't, you can't get your eye off that day because that's the day you found out you had cancer. Or that's the day you signed the papers for divorce. Or that's the day you lost that special someone. Or that's the day you were let go. Or that's the day. It's like you fill in the blank. It's like we, we have like these anniversaries that come up. It's not like, it's not a party. But maybe 
if we can look at life the way the Apostle Paul did, and we're going to look at some things today, I hope will be a help to you. I would just say this, though. I would start, and the way I start when I, when I approach days like that or difficult times, situations, circumstances that are just hard to go through, there's a couple of go-to verses for me personally, or if I'm trying to walk with somebody through something really difficult, there's a couple of verses I go to. The first one is, is just this one. This is Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I love this verse because it's not trying to fix anything. <laughs> you know, you're not trying to like help somebody through it. You're just, just reminding them that they are not alone and there's a God that loves them and cares about them and, and wants to walk through this with them. The other one um, I go to, I don't necessarily tell people this one right away because sometimes they don't want to hear this one right away. But this is a huge promise. This is Romans 8, 28. And he says, and we know that in, everybody say the yellow with me, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, he doesn't say God causes all things. But it says God can work through all things and he uses all things for his good purpose in your life and mine. Again, there, there's, a, there's a time for this one. Like maybe the, the moment that the pain is at its greatest, they're not ready for this one. They just need Psalm 34, 18. You know what I'm talking about? But this is one I go back to over and over and over in the midst of it. And it's like, okay, God, I trust that you can bring good out of this. And the guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. Paul, in this place, is writing to the church in Rome. In this letter to the Philippians, he's actually in prison in Rome, now writing to the church at Philippi. But he knows what he's talking about. He writes this, not just as one anointed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes one as, as one who has experienced this. Like in all things, God has worked for the good of the Apostle Paul and what God was trying to accomplish through his life. Like he saw the good. So we get to Philippians chapter one. We're, we're still in chapter one. We started there last week with the first 12 verses. We're, we're starting about verse uh, 13 or 12, 13 this week. And um, one of the first things you notice is that while, while Paul is in this kind of house arrest situation, he's chained to a guard. Wow. That would bum me out. You know what I'm talking about? Like being chained to a guard all the time? That, that's where he is. And yet, he could see God was up to something. In fact, look at this. Philippians 1.13. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, those are the people he was chained to, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Here's the way Paul saw this. I'm not saying he always enjoyed every moment of this, but he saw it through this lens. Captive audience. You know what I'm talking about? New guard comes in every four hours. New guard comes in, chain them to him. And Paul's like, guess who we're going to talk about today? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? Oh, I'll give you a hint. Starts with a J, ends in Jesus. You know, it's like, hey, you're, you can't go anywhere. We're talking about Jesus, right? So he saw it as an opportunity. He saw that God could use even this to do something good. You keep reading, though, in the next few verses, I, I don't fully understand. I'm going to be honest with you. He says there are preachers who are preaching about Christ with bad motives, meaning 
they somehow think that the more they talk about Jesus, the more difficult they're going to make it for Paul in prison. Like they're trying to get back at him or something. And Paul's like, whatever. At least Jesus is being talked about, right? Here's what it says down there in verse 18. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Remember we talked last week, this word joy just keeps showing up, right? He's in jail and people are trying to make life tough on him. And he's like, yeah, but they're still talking about Jesus. So it's kind of a win-win, right? That's his attitude. That's his perspective. Now, in talking about this very same passage of scripture in this middle part of, of Philippians chapter one, Max Lucado has like a devotional book I've been reading. And he, he says this, and I find this really interesting. He says, the most stressed out people are control freaks. Now, if there's a control freak in the room right now, I want you to point at them, you know, cause you, you know who they are, right? All right, so, all right. He says the most stressed out people are control freaks. And the reason is this, because in life, most of what happens to us is beyond our, our realm of control. Like if COVID taught us nothing else, we're not a controller of everything. And that totally messes with some of us to the nth degree, right? So he's saying stressed out people struggle with all this. It's, it's like ambiguous and it's chaos and it's hard to handle. So there's stress because you can't control it all. But then Max Lucado drops this amazing, beautiful bomb on the middle of this discussion. He says, peace, though. Peace is within reach. Not for lack of problems, but because of the presence of a sovereign Lord. I read that, and it reminded me of something I've been saying for years, not to say it, I've said it better. I love this. The way I've said it is this. Peace is not the absence of war. It's not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of conflict. Peace is found in the presence of Jesus. And we actually fast forward to Philippians chapter four, and he says, you can have this peace that passes all understanding, even when you are stressed and anxious about stuff. He goes, don't, don't live in this perpetual state of stress. I want you to bring that stuff to me, and then you can have peace. Why? Because I'm with you. That, that's what he says in chapter four. We'll get there in several weeks, but this is what he's saying. Peace is not the absence of pain or stress or problems. It's, it's all about this, this presence of a sovereign Lord who's truly in charge of the whole thing. That, that's who he is, and that's what he's up to. Now, most of the time, the way we are set up now, I read everything off of here, but I want to just read a section of this passage in Philippians 1. I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go back, and I'll, and I'll look at some things up here with you. But I'm just going to start like in uh, verse 20 or so. So if you have your Bible, just kind of follow along there. It may be a different translation, but here's what it says. For I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't want or I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better by far for me, heaven, yes, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy, there's our word again, the joy of your faith 
And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. So that's the bulk of this section I want us to look at after we get through that first 13 to 18 section there. But what he's talking about here is key for us because what he's trying to show us is some, some pretty important stuff. So here, here's what I want us to do. I want to break it down this way. We just read that section. Here's what I want to do. We need a priority bigger than ourselves. We need a priority bigger than ourselves, okay? So let me go back to this picture that's going on right here in Philippians. So for about four years, the Apostle Paul has been going through some pretty dark times. For two years, he was in prison in Caesarea on some trumped-up charges. And then he's transported to Rome to stand trial. But on the way, by the way, he's shipwrecked, has to spend the winter on, a, on an island. He gets bit by a poisonous, spider, or poisonous snake. You're just like the, the list goes on and on of all the horrible things that happen to him. He finally gets to Rome, and now he's chained to somebody all day, every day, for two years. By the way, we know through history now, waiting his execution. From Paul's perspective, this is not the way he thought it was going to go. Think of it this way. Paul had talked previously about wanting to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. And I, I, I just imagine in his mind, when I get to Rome, we're going to have a rally. And we're going to gather thousands of people. And I'm going to talk about Jesus. And thousands of people are going to come to know Jesus. And God says, you know what? I am going to get you to Rome. But you're going to sit in a prison cell. And you're going to write parts of the New Testament which aren't going to impact thousands of people. They're going to impact billions. See, God saw a more effective, more powerful, more influential way for, for him to be in Rome. In fact, I'm going to have you in Rome, God's saying, and Nero's going to pay the bill. So you're going to go there, but you're going to be under house arrest. And, and the thing about the guards, yeah, let's go back to this. Okay, so these are the Praetorian guards. This is like the elite crack team of Roman soldiers that are hand-selected by Caesar. These guys, this, is, this, this blew me away when I was reading this. These guys are the highest paid people in the Roman Empire. They serve as praetorian guards for 12 years. They are Caesar's personal bodyguards. They serve for 12 years, and then they are given positions of leadership in Rome. Now, track with me on this. Paul's thinking, someday I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to preach to thousands of people. And God says, you know, i got a better idea. I'm going to have you go get chained for four hours at a time to all the future leaders of Rome. And when they're chained to you, I know who you're going to be talking about. See what God's doing here? God can work all things together for good for those who called him or called according to his purpose. Like, he's, he's using the situation for God's greater purpose, even though I'm sure at the moment and at times, Paul may have even been frustrated. But Paul sees the value in what God is doing in this time. Now, the reason I say we've got to have a priority bigger than ourselves is because a lot of times our priority starts and ends with ourselves. Our priority is all about me. 
Well, let me give you an example from American culture. Well, many people wouldn't say it this way, so I'll rephrase it in a moment so you can get this. But our priority is that we would be rich. In American culture, everything she's doing. You have, a, you have a child, you hope that child grows up to be a blank, which means they would have a good salary, which means they could pay for your home someday. He's like, we want our kids to be fabulously well, we want them to be rich. Like people in American culture, this is one of the goals, right? We, we want to be rich. Now we don't say that, I guess maybe some people do. Most people say it like this, I, I want to be comfortable and not have to worry about money. Can I, can I just be totally honest with you right now? Whether you call it rich or comfortable or not having to worry about money, those are all moving targets. You know what that means? Moving targets. That, this, here's what it means. What does rich mean to you? Well, we're not even talking about the fabulously wealthy, like billions of dollars. Let's just say like in real life, you're thinking to yourself, someday, someday, if I could make $100,000 a year, I would be like, I, I would need nothing, right? And so maybe some of you, like 30 years ago, you were thinking, that's incredible that I could get to like six digits, like $100,000 a year. And let's say you passed that three years ago. How, how are you feeling now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now, you're not feeling rich because you know somebody who's at 200000 now, you know who somebody's at 500,000. And in fact, it was, it was Howard Hughes, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And he had, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And they asked him, how much do you need? And he said, just a little more. I don't care how much we have, that's the tagline. How much do you need to be happy, fulfilled, successful, rich, whatever you want to call it, just a little more. That, that's what we need. That's what we think we need. Well, I'm going to come back to that, all right? But the Apostle Paul, his priority was about the gospel. And here's a great business saying. Maybe you've heard this before. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's all say it together out loud. One, two, three. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. One more time. The main thing. All right. And that's the main thing. All right. So here's what the Apostle Paul understood. The main thing is the gospel. It's, it's Jesus. That's the main thing. And it doesn't mean you don't have to have a job to provide for your family. The main thing, though, is Jesus. And we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. That, that's what we have to do as followers of Christ. We've got to keep that perspective. Because it's so easy to get sidetracked, especially in this world of ours. Again, some of you have thought, if I, if I just made $50,000 a year, Let's just say in retirement, let's just say in retirement, I could get to the point where I would have $50,000 a year. All my needs would be met. I mean, 50,000? That doesn't even sound rich in our culture today, does it? No. Check this out. If you're married, together make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 5% of the wealth in the world. You are rich, sorry. If you have a separate house for your car, it's called a garage. If you have one of those, you're wealthy, right? If you have a thing that you plug in and you keep excess food, which most of the world doesn't have excess food. If you have one of those refrigerator things, you're wealthy, right? If you just make 50000 a year, you're in the top 5% of the wealth in the world. 
Like I said, wealth, riches, it's, it's a moving target. And what we think would get us to this place of euphoria and happiness and everything would be taken care of as soon as we get there, our eyes are on the next thing. Listen to what Paul, the same guy, tells Timothy, a young pastor, to tell his church. Now, I wanted you to get this before I started reading because when we read verses like this that's talking about rich people, we immediately think of somebody else. But let's think about us. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. By the way, have you watched the stock market in the last 12, 15 years? Like, doo, 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 right? Some of you watched it go by. Like, then he says this, their trust should be in God who richly gives all we need for our enjoyment. I love that because some people feel guilty because they have a good, don't feel guilty. God's providing for you to enjoy some things. Tell them though, to use this, to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. True life doesn't come through gathering and hoarding. True life comes from sharing our life with others. And it comes from keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is Jesus. That, that's what we got to focus on, right? So let's go back to this. Back in Philippians. For I fully expect and hope that I'll never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. So here, here's the priority statement that he makes here, but I'm going to give you two priority questions. So these are questions we can ask ourselves when we're evaluating life, marriage, family, occupation, whatever it is. Like, I'm going to give you two questions. One of them's right here. There's the keyword, okay? So here's two questions. Will this bring honor to Christ? Because Paul's saying, this is my priority. Whether I live or die, I want to honor Christ. So that's one part. The other one comes up in the way he's talking in the earlier verses. Will this bring others to Christ? Those are the two priorities in Paul's life. And I'm just going to ask that you keep these in front of you throughout the rest of your life so that you can keep the main thing the main thing. Will this bring honor to Christ? Will this bring others to Christ? Then, then you can literally take these into your everyday life, right? So you're in a job interview and you're thinking, man, I don't, I don't know if this is the job for me or not, but I'm going to do my best. By the way, you can have multiple jobs and I'm not sure that God cares that much which job you have as long as your heart is to say, in this place, I'm going to honor you and in this place, I'm going to bring others to you. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we sweat the details, like which house am I supposed to buy and which city am I supposed to live in? Which church should I go? Well, actually, that one's obvious. But the other ones, like, will this bring honor to Christ and will I be able to bring others to Christ? That, those are the questions we have to ask. You know, when we're working on a marriage for 35 years, the question should be, will this bring honor to Christ? Will this bring others to Christ? You know, raising our kids, we've got to ask these questions. When we go on vacation, we got to ask these questions. Like, this should be the priorities. These should be the priorities. Like, that's probably a better way to say that. Will this bring honor to Christ? Will this bring others to Christ? Keep those two questions in mind always. Here's another thing that comes up in these verses. 
We need a perspective that transcends our circumstances. So I heard the story. <laughs> Joke's coming, just so you know. This is, this is good, though. So this guy goes to the doctor. He takes his wife. He says, my wife is just like listless and like no energy and just no emotion, not, not up, down, not, just like nothing. Doc, you, something's not right. You got to run some tests. Something's not right. And so the doc runs a battery of tests, comes back, sits down with a couple, and he says, I find nothing physically wrong. And the husband's like, well, that's impossible because obviously something's not right. Like she's, she's just, she's not herself. Like she's just, she's just, there's just nothing going on here. You got to prescribe something. You got to do something, right? He's begging the doctor. And the doctor finally walks over to the wife and just gives her a big hug, a big hug and a little kiss on the cheek. And he looks at the husband and says, she needs that three times a week. The guy's like, well, I could get her in here on Tuesday and Thursday, but on Saturday I play golf. <laughs> no, here's the funny thing about this. Us guys, that's not too far from the truth, is it, guys? Like sometimes we can't see what's right in front of us. We have perspective issues, right? Or sometimes what is right in front of us keeps us from seeing the big picture. Like you remember that phrase, like you can't see the forest for the trees, like the trees in the way and you can't see the big picture. And I think the big picture, that perspective is what was Paul was so good at getting. But again, we have multiple examples of this. Let's go back to the way the church in Philippi started. So I referred to Acts chapter 16 last week, but I didn't read from there. But let me just give you more of the story. So Paul and Silas are there. They get thrown in jail, beaten up and thrown in jail because they're talking about Jesus. And then the Bible says this about verse 16. At about midnight... Paul and Silas are singing hymns. I got to stop there for a second. Show of hands, how many of you were beaten up to a bloody pulp and thrown in prison? How many of you would be singing? Yeah. Uh, my hand would not go up at that point. I think that would be tough. My dad's hand would go up because he loves worship music. So he'd be just singing. Most of us probably would just be the, the, the Greek word is belly aching, right? So it's like, yeah, we would not like this. So Paul and Silas are singing praises to God after being beaten up and thrown in jail. So then this earthquake happens. God sends this earthquake. It shakes the place so much that the doors of the, of the jail cells just fall off. The jailer, after the whole, the whole thing settles, is like he's, he's like, uh-oh, because if the people get away, they kill him. That's how important his job is. And so he just takes a sword. He's going to end it himself. And Paul goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're still here. And I want you to see this. This is the next thing that happens. Then he brought them out, brought them out of that dungeon they were in, brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, there is no reference to them having a conversation with him before that. He's just been observing them shining in a dark place. You know, you know what I'm talking about here? So they're singing, they're praising God. He's just, he's hearing all this and it's probably baffling him. But then when, when the dust settles and he brings them out, he goes, I need what you have, right? I need what you have. Let me tell you, this whole series is called Bright Light in a Dark Place. And here's the point that we're gonna come back to over and over and over. Even in the most difficult times of your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, in the most difficult times of your life, 
You have people watching you. And, and I know it's difficult, but if we can shine in those moments, our friends are going to say, hey, what can I do to be safe? What can I do to have what you have? I've seen that over and over in people's stories in our church as they, as they face cancer, continued treatment, nurses and doctors going, how do you have this attitude? I want what you have. Friends and family members, as you go through a difficult time, coming to you and just saying, how do I get what you have? Because I don't know how you're able to do this going through what you're going through. Whatever the circumstance is, whatever the darkness, the difficulty is, when we shine in those moments, like this jailer right here, this is how the church in Philippi in part was started, is all right there. And now he's writing back to these people that he loves. It started this way. And they love him. And so he's writing to work with them through this and, and to show them how much he cares. Now, I want you to see something. In Philippians 1.21, um, the, the way I learned this verse is a little different. I'll come back to it later because it's a little shorter. But in the New Living tr Translation, it says this. For to me, living means living for Christ. This is Paul talking. And dying is even better. So he's saying, for me to live, um, I'm going to live for Jesus. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus. It's either way I win. And he even says, if you remember, we read the full thing earlier. He said, man, to, to go be with him would be better by far. But I think I still got some work to do. So I think I'm going to be around for a while. For to me, living means living for Christ. I would love it if we could all say that. If we're, if we're super honest with ourselves, we might say it this way. For me, living means living for possessions. For to me, living means living for power or position where I work or at school. For me, living means living for popularity. I just want people to like me. For me, living means living for pleasure. I mean, after all, as long as it feel good, feels good, do it. Right? There's a whole world philosophy based on that idea. For to me, living means living for Jesus. Now, the, the translation I memorized this on when I was younger was the NIV, and it just says it this way. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's read this out loud together. Here we go. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That pretty well sums it up. To me, it's the key verse of this whole section. Everything on either side of it really goes back to this idea. He's just saying, this is my priority, and this is my perspective, and this is my purpose. It all really says it right there, but we need a purpose provided by God. Um, how many of you read the book, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren? One of the all-time best-selling books next to the Bible. But did you know that? Sold millions and millions of copies. He begins the book with this phrase. <laughs> it's not about you. And I think a lot of people who get the book are like, that's all, that's all the further they got, right? No, it's not about you. Our purpose comes from the one who made us. Like if I'm a screwdriver, I'm like, yeah, I'm a screwdriver. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive cars. No, you're not. You're a screwdriver. You're going to screw things in, screw things out. You know, I'm a chainsaw. I'm a chainsaw. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a babysitter. No, you're not. You're a chainsaw. It's like, 
No, we don't get to just say what our purpose is. Like, we need to go to the one who made us and ask him what our purpose is. That, that's where we find our purpose. So check this out. Paul, again, he's talking. He says, knowing this, knowing what? Knowing that he still has a purpose here to help other people. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. So the purpose for him is clear. Remember, it's like to live is Christ, to die is gain. If, if, I'm gonna, if he's going to let me live longer, then I have a purpose. So let me ask you this. If you're still breathing, why are you here? I don't mean like, why are you here in a church building or why are you watching this right now? I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, why are you on planet Earth right now? Rick Warren also said, I don't remember if it was in the Purpose Driven Life or not, but he says this, and I love this. He goes, there's only two things we can do on planet Earth that we can't do in heaven. In heaven, we can't sin. And in heaven, we can't tell people about Jesus. Because in heaven, everybody knows about Jesus, right? So he says, if there's only two things we can do here that we can't do there, sin or tell people, which one do you think Jesus has left you here to do? <laughs> it's not sin, by the way, in case you're just like, I don't know. Flip a coin. Hey, sin. No, it's not sin. The reason he leaves us here is to tell people about Jesus. Again, that's the main thing. The main thing. I... Uh, I want you to think for just a minute. Um, if you go to school, I, I want you to think of maybe your, your favorite homeroom or your favorite class, your favorite teacher, whatever it is. If you, if you work, maybe think of that setting for just a minute. If you're retired, God bless you. That's awesome. Um, think of maybe your neighbors or whatever. Just think of the, the realm where you spend most of your time where, where God has given you this sphere of, of influence, people that you see on a regular basis, right? And I want you to think of it this way. You are not just a truck driver who happens to be a Christian. You're a follower of Christ, a Christian who happens to drive a truck. You got you to get it right. Because otherwise, Jesus doesn't continue as the main thing. You know that? You're not just a teacher who happens to be a Christian. No, you're, you're a Christian who happens to fulfill God's purpose for your life by being a teacher. You know, you, you can just fill in the blank for, for, your, for your situation, where your sphere of influence is. God has not just put you there just to, so you can do it. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm a Christian. No, you are a Christian first. That's the main thing, a follower of Jesus. And you want to honor him and share him in all those settings. I've been taught a lesson this year about how God works through things um, that didn't go the way I wanted. Um, six months ago, I was just recently complaining about it again this week. Six months ago, I pulled a muscle. I was uh, up riding my bike up in Simpson Park. It was after all the rains. It was the last week in March. I still remember the day. And it was the last week in March, and I'm going up, and there's this one place where, where because of so much rain after the fires up there, there wasn't enough vegetation. And so the water that we had, we had so much rain this year, just washed new, like, little ruts through everything, right? Well, one wasn't so little. 
It was probably about 20 to 24 inches wide and about 30 inches deep. And so I ride up to it, and I'm going up the hill. So I'm not going super fast. I, I see it. So I get off my bike, and I just pick up my bike, and I step over this way, and then I step. And as soon as I start to move this foot, this foot, the earth gave way, and I did the splits. In a split second, holding a 30-pound bike, bam, and things popped that shouldn't be popping. <laughs> I laid in the dirt for a few minutes in a lot of pain. And then I finished riding to the top because I'm a man. No. I finished riding to the top because if I got to the top, I know going down the other side would be easier to get home. And so I made myself do it, and then I, I got home. It took me seven weeks to get on my bike again. It took me about three months to where I felt like I could ride up Simpson again without literally dying. And, and it, didn't, it didn't hurt anymore. And, and I was also then walking up to Simpson, up Vista de Valle Road, up to the gate. I was doing that two, three, four times a week. That's part of my rehab, just walk. And it, what, here's the truth. Six months later, I can hike as fast as I want to up the steepest things. I can ride my bike. Nothing bothers me. I still can't run. It still hurts to run. I don't know how long this is going to take me. Now, I know if I was 18 and this would happen, I would have been fine in like three hours. I'm not 18 anymore. But here's what happened. Part of my rehab, like I say, was walking up that hill. From my house, which is by the high school, up to the top of the gate and back is just four miles, a little over four miles. I, I can do it in an hour, but in that hour, it's my time with God. Now, here, here's what you need to know. I, I read my Bible before I go up the hill. But there's times I just, I'm listening to podcasts or I'm listening to things or sometimes I just turn it off and I'm walking. It's just this opportunity for me to pray. Sometimes I get to the point where I have so many things I feel like on my to-do list, including read my Bible, or read my Bible, read my Bible. Okay, done. Now, what's my next thing? I got to go do that. You know, it's like, it has slowed me down. Do I want to go through the pain again? No. Do I wish I could run? Eh, not really. I don't care about running, but it would be nice to run without pain. That would be nice. Because if I remember in a situation where I'm chasing bad guys, it would be nice. <laughs> that, that would be a fun situation, me chasing bad guys. But how has God used something in your life where you've been slowed down? It could be a difficult situation, an illness could be a relational problem, a financial problem. Something happened and it just changed your rhythm and your pace. Let me encourage you to use those kinds of times to get closer to him. We, we sang the song earlier, and the reason I was laughing when we were singing because the song was running. I can't run right now. But I will tell you this. No matter what happens, I know the one I want to run to. See, sometimes what people do when things really hurt, they blame God and run from him. Can we please give the devil some credit for being an idiot? You know, when bad things happen, it might just be him. It's not like God doing that, but now God can use it for good. It doesn't mean God caused it. And I just want you to have that picture. I want you to have that picture as we go kind of through nearly the end of chapter one. We'll get to finish chapter one and get into chapter two next week. But I told you that this word joy just keeps showing up. 
And ever since I read through Philippians again, I kept thinking of something I learned in Sunday school. Maybe some of you learned the same thing. It goes like this. Here's the word joy. But here's how you get there. Jesus first, then others, then yourself. See, we, we, we try to flip it around. We, we try to like, but I, but I, but I, but I, but I, right? And we, we bring Jesus into it, like when we need help, try to keep him close enough in case we need some help. And then others are there. Sometimes, you know, if we can use others to meet our purposes, then great. If we can help others and that benefits us, that's great. But no, here's the order. Jesus first, then others, then ourselves. The Bible just over and over says this idea. If we're really going to find joy, we're going to follow Jesus' example. We're going to run after him, pursue him with everything we've got. I want to pray for you, but I want you to understand this. Because where some of you might be at right now is you're still living for yourself. You are still your main thing. You are still your priority. Your perspective comes through the lens of how it affects you. It's like all those things we talked about. And I just want to say, wherever you're at there, I, I want you to get here. And it's not because I get something out of it. It's just I care about you. And I know your life's going to be so much better if you just, if you just start here. And so I'm going to pray for you, but I, I want you to, if Jesus is not Lord, King, number one in your life, this is what I want you to be praying about. Next week, we're going to really focus more on this, but I want you to focus on him right now. I'm almost done. It's all right. We're good. Let's pray. That was an adult, by the way, that screamed. No, just kidding. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, for coming to our rescue when we are brokenhearted, for saving us when we're crushed, and for working out your good purpose. Thank you for the example of Paul so that we could see this in action like in real time, horrible things happening to somebody and yet you're using it where it still benefits us today. Wow. God, would you help us put you first? And I know it's a struggle. It's a struggle to let go of the reins, let go of the wheel, however you want to say it. But God, we want, we want you to be Lord and King and boss. We want Jesus to be number one in our life. Help us just to start with that right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you watch it online, you have questions, you have decisions, you can always email us at office at community.cc or use your app if you have that. All of you in the room, we, we des desperately want to know about the decisions you're making, the next steps you're taking. Let us know in the app or let us know personally. If you want to pray with somebody before you get out of here, make your way up to the front. The rest of you can go outside. We've got ice cream. For those of you at home, go get your own ice cream. Love you. See you next week.